John. And we get together uh, occasionally for lunch. And so uh, we had a nice lunch. We had been talking about this and that. And um, towards the end of the lunch, John says, uh, so have you given any more thought to that offer I made you? <laughs> and I had this blank look on my face that sort of corresponded with the blank thought in my head, like, what is he talking about? And, um, and let this be a lesson to all of you. If you have something important to tell me, Sunday morning, not the greatest time to do that. And if you have to do it on Sunday morning, I have a book. Say, would you please write this down? And then the odds are really good that I'll remember what you asked me. But in this case, because of all the millions of things that go on on Sunday morning, I had just completely forgotten. So I said, um, well, John, could you refresh my memory <laughs> on that? And he said, well, I, have you thought anymore? I, I had this m idea for a message that, that went along with your, um, with your I Love My Church series that you'd been doing. But the interesting thing is it also fits in with uh, Hebrews chapter 3. And since I had been looking at Hebrews chapter 3 that very morning and not getting a whole lot of insight in terms of what I might want to say about it, and the fact that I was f sort of fighting this cold that I'm still fighting, um, I said, yeah, I think that would be great. Um, let's do that. So uh, before I bring John up here, I, I also felt like I wanted to do something else. I, I know a lot of you see John around here occasionally, but there's probably a lot of you that don't really know a whole lot about him. Um, and so I wanted to give him at least a little bit of an introduction so you might have a little bit uh, more information about, um, about him. He was born on April the 20th, and I'll let him share the year if he chooses to, <laughs> but I won't in uh, Brisbane, Queensland, Australia. That will account for the accent you're about to hear when he comes up to speak. Um, he has a diploma in uh, the Bible and Christian Ministries from the Commonwealth Bible College Assemblies of God. He also has a Bachelor of Biblical Studies from Harvest Bible College. And um, <clears throat> I had him send me his resume, and if I were to read that, we would be all out of time. Um, because it's rather lengthy and involved. But suffice it to say that when it comes to doing ministry or ministry activities, there is pretty much nothing that John hasn't done. He's served as a worship leader, a youth leader, a pastor, an evangelist, a church planter, a seminar teacher, and a conference speaker, among other things. Uh, his resume is very extensive. Um, and I will say this, that, that John has been an absolutely invaluable resource to me as I have walked through this journey of church planting and pastoring, that there have been times when I have been able to go to him and say, all right, what, what do you think about this? Or how do you read this? Or, you know, he's just been someone that's been wonderful to have that kind of um, connection with so that... Uh, when I get stuck or when I have questions, I know I can always talk to John. And, and it, as I said, there's probably very little in terms of ministry that John hasn't seen. Um, you know, and so he's always uh, just a real wealth of knowledge uh, for me. So, John, would you please come? 
and then I will pray for John, and then he is going to uh, give our message today. So, Father, I, I just ask you right now that you would bless my friend, my brother, that you would uh, enhance through his words the message that you have already given him for us this week. Let your words be his words. And let us all leave here different than when we came as a result of what he will say today. We give you thanks and praise, and we ask all this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate the opportunity to share, and um, I pray that it will minister to you and bring you encouragement to step into a higher level, a higher plane. I don't like the word level, okay? No, a higher plane, a higher understanding, or a deeper understanding, really, of what the Lord has for you, his people, not only today, but for the rest of your life. It's interesting that the, the Hebrew says, the word up there says, a journey or the journey of faith. Faith is never an arriving. It's always a journey. And that journey takes us into all different places. And as Pastor Jeff said, I, I, I was affiliated, a member of the Assemblies of God for many years. But it was interesting how God allows things to happen to bring us into a greater reality. So I, I had problems because in Bible school, I, didn't, I went there to learn theology. I didn't go there to do ministry because I'd already been doing ministry. And, you know, so our class was known as the, the um, most mature class they ever had because most of us had been in some form of ministry or other. And so now we're in Bible school and, uh, you know, learning the Assemblies of God way. <laughs> and, but when I, when I left and then went out and planted my first church in a city called Geelong, Australia, because I've always believed in planting in a strategic place, not just planting anywhere. And Geelong was a strategic place for me. And, and so I applied for credentials. But you know what? Well, we don't know whether you got a ministry or not, so we can't give you a credential. And so they, they gave me licensed preachers credential and a few other things. But it was interesting because God was pushing me out of the assemblies of God. Many of us have been brought up in a, what we would call an institutionalized model of church. And that then tends to, because there is a spirit that hangs around every institution. We call it a religious spirit, but it's actually a family spirit. It's a spirit that hangs around a family or a group of people who are like a family, a denomination. And so we would call it a denominational spirit. And so when somebody comes from a denomination that does not believe in the gifts of the spirit, so to speak, they find it hard to break through because the spirit of the denomination is, tends to block us. And it doesn't matter what, what group. Because in Christ there's no 
denomination. There's only one body. And we, are, we can have a favorite place to worship, and that's great. You know, because we can get involved and we love it. But we also need to re realize we're to love the body as a whole, not just our own little special group. Amen? But anyway, so just sharing that as a bit of an introduction before I do my next introduction. <laughs> I want to do something this morning before I actually get into Hebrews. In Isaiah, Isaiah 11.2, it says that... Um, talking about Jesus it says this the spirit of the Lord shall be upon him the spirit of wisdom and understanding the spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord and that is the spirit the Holy Spirit he is full of understanding full of knowledge full of wisdom etc and interesting, there's, there's a verse in Psalm 32 where David's saying in verse 8, I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Do not be like the horse or like the mule, which have no understanding, which must be harnessed with a bit and a bridle, else they will not come to you. And what we tend to do is when we develop as a group, if we're not careful, as, as, as God starts moving, we tend to put then structures onto it, like a bit and the bridle, and you know, come this way, come that way. Instead of allowing the freedom of the Spirit of God to operate. Because if we walk by the Spirit, this Holy Spirit is not a spirit of disorder, He's a spirit of order. Okay? What does the, the verse says? Let all things be done decently and in order. It doesn't say let all things be done decently. It doesn't say let all things be done in order. It says let all things be done. Everything be done. But there's a decency and an order, and that decency and order is the guidance of the Spirit of God, not our mindsets. How would it be, Peter? I, and I remember when, when um, Vineyard Toronto, John, John um, Arnott, when they started moving there, people say, oh, everything's out of order. <laughs> well, you know, what would they say about Peter in Cornelius' house? There's the things that happened there that weren't quite in order. But the spirit moved. Holy Spirit moved. And so there's a greater understanding. I, now, I've been in Pentecost since I was 12. I was in a boy's home for seven years. My dad put me in a boy's home. My mum got us out after seven years. And the first church she took me to at the age of 12 was a Pentecostal church. It wasn't similar to God, but it was a Pentecostal. And at the age of 12, I was baptized in water and baptized in the Holy Spirit. So I speak in tongues, okay? But I, I've come to the realization because there was some dissatisfaction 
in, in my understanding over the years that tongues is not the main thing. And it's interesting because Rich is teaching through Corinthians. And it's interesting in Corinthians, it says at the beginning, you know, I praise you because you're not backward in any gift. They were flowing in the gifts. They were speaking in tongues. They were prophesying. But Paul says, but I have this against you. There are divisions among you. Some say you're of Paul. Some say you're of Apollos. Some say you're of... of uh, Cephas, and some say you're, some even have the gall to say, well, I'm of Jesus. And he says, that's not good enough. You're divided. Because a few chapters later, he says, understand this. You have all things. Cephas, Paul, Jesus, you know, they're all. You receive from all. And so it's interesting that in Hebrews 3, Chapter 1 is a journey that really takes us back to the, be to the beginning of what it really is all about. Because in Hebrews 3 it says, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the high priest or the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses was also faithful in his own house. For this one has been, has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, in so much as he built the house, oh, sorry, as he who built the house has more honour than the house. Jesus, it says, is the high piece, high, or the apostle of our confession. And it can also be translated profession because your profession is what you confess from. And your confession is what you are or your profession. And we are, we are who? Sons of God. So Jesus is an apostle. But to be an apostle, he had to become a son. See, we, we, we use the term son. Well, Jesus was eternally the son of God. No, Jesus was the word who became flesh. And becoming flesh, he learned to become the son of God. See, we, we grow up in, a, in a, our mind and our ideas of, well, as, you know, my first child was a boy so he's my son in the hebrew culture though you don't become a son until you're around about 30 years of age because sonship was not a sexual context sonship was a material a maturity context and so at jesus baptism notice jesus who was from the beginning, had to be released into his ministry by one who had been in ministry before him, John the Baptist. That's why Jesus says, when John says, oh, I need to be baptized by you, not, you, not me baptizing you. But Jesus said, no, this has to be done that all scripture be fulfilled, all righteousness 
being fulfilled. What was the principle that we see in the garden? That a male or a young man who decided he no longer needed a father and so he decided to go his own way. What do we see in um, Noah's life? When he, when he made sacrifice after coming out of the ark and then they, they drank a bit too much wine and he's drunk in his tent. Now it says that he was naked. Actually, no, that really meant that he put off his robe of authority. And one of his sons sees that and he goes to the other two brothers and says, hey, let's take dad's authority. No, we can't take our own authority. We have to be released into our authority. And so that's what happened with Jesus. He was released into his authority. And that's when he became an apostle because first he was a son. And the son was sent. See, apostle means one who has been sent. Well, that's the Greek understanding. But that's, that's too abstract. It really means one who has been sent on a mission on behalf of a king. Another term we would use today is ambassador. When the president, just say Australia had not been discovered and they find there's a, there's, a, there's a land called Australia. So the president of America says, I am going to send an ambassador to Australia. And that ambassador is not accountable to anybody else but the president. He speaks on the president's behalf. He speaks with the president's authority. But he has no authority of his own. Everything he does is on behalf of the president. Everything Jesus did was on behalf of the Father. I used to say this, Jesus never had an original idea in his life. Because everywhere he went, he saw the Father go. Every word he said, he heard the Father say. Everything he did, he saw the Father every place he went. So it's like his desire was not to raise his own name and fame to raise the fame of his father and so he became an apostle then he became a high priest after the order of Melchizedek who, who was king and priest now it's interesting I made a comment before the issue was not about tongues in Acts chapter 2 verse 1 it makes this comment. See, it's interesting, getting back to talking about the Corinthians. Paul says, you're not backward in any gift, you speak in tongues. And then Paul, later on, says, I speak in tongues more than you all do. The issue is not about speaking in tongues. Well, so it's a great gift. And it's an important gift for us. I love it. But if we make that the main thing, we miss the main thing. And what is the main thing? 
Acts chapter 2, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were, it were all with one accord in one place. Some translations say they were all together in one place. Well, I can go into any Pentecostal church. Go to a big one, you know, 2,000 people. All speak in tongues. But they're not in one accord. See, one accord means to have the same heart and the same mind. And that's not something you can manufacture. That's not something you can cause to happen. That's not something you can regulate. That's what the world does to regulate uniformity. We call it communism. We're not here. Even the, con even the constitution of this nation was not about making one people because there cannot be one people. You've got 50 different states. Each state has their own people. And then you've got counties and each county has their own people. Now we have a same heart for America, okay, but we're different. We have different gifts, different callings, but it's all for one purpose. I like denominational ideas and, and most denominations were founded on a revelation one man got and then out of that they built a, a denomination. And they say, well this is the way God works. And therefore, they put God in their box. And don't you dare take God out of their box. The trouble is, they're in the box and God isn't. <laughs> he left that long ago when the veil was rent and he left the box called the Holy of Holies. See, they were all in one accord in one place. Now, interesting... If you had have followed the life of the disciples, see, just because we're a disciple doesn't mean to say we're of one heart and one mind. Jesus was training disciples for three and a half years. And they were always trying to get one-upmanship on the others. Who's going to be closer to you, Jesus, when you come to your throne? Want me on one side and him on the other side, etc. And there was divisions. Peter even denied the one who he was there to serve. Denied him three times. And I read that, and it's interesting, the first two times they said, oh, you were with Jesus of Nazareth. First two times, he said, no. But the third time, someone said, oh, you are one of them. He said, no, I know him not. So there was division, there was competition, just like in any church. Everybody wants to do their own thing. Now, I have a, I have a, a problem with what we call the modern Pentecost. Well, Azusa, uh, Pentecost started Azusa Street. It did not start at Azusa Street. That's the foundation of Monte Pentecostalism, and Pentecostalism made it about my individual experience. But the book of Acts doesn't make it about my individual experience. It made it about our experience as one. The power of one. 
the power that fell on Pentecost. And, and, and you've got to understand, what did Jesus pray in, in, in his prayer? John 17. He said, Father, I pray that they will become, who? Those you have given me. The disciples you have given me. The 12 and the 70. I pray that they will become one as we are one. And so Pentecost was the fulfillment of Christ's prayer. And they all became one. And when they became one, suddenly they all spoke in different languages. And everybody outside from different places around the world had heard the, the gospel proclaimed in their own language, which was a fulfillment of the prophet who said that the gospel will pro be proclaimed by a people with stammering lips. In other words, it will be done, the gospel will pre be proclaimed with, a la with languages other than the Hebrew language, which they knew. And that happened. That was the miracle because they all became one. So much so, if you read through the New Testament, look at the words one accord. Look at the word unity. It all relates around the same thing. And that's the issue that Paul has with the Corinthians. They divide themselves even though they have the gifts of the Spirit flowing freely and they're taking advantage of it, but they're not of one accord. They weren't, didn't have the same heart. Everybody was about how good I look. How spiritual am I? Well, I have this gift, I have that gift. That's not what defines what spirituality is. True spirituality is, are we one with the people who are part of the body in which we function in? Are we there to serve each other or are we there to serve ourselves? Are we there to raise up other names? Look at it this way. Acts 4, oh no, sorry, Ephesians 4 says, and he gave gifts to mankind, apostles, prophets, pastors, evangelists, and teachers. But Jesus only left apostles. So who raised up the prophets, the evangelists, the teachers, the pastors? The apostles did. They released people into their calling and their ministry. And they, in turn, released people into their calling and ministry. You know, sad to say today, in a lot of the big, you know, movers and shakers, it's the, it's the man up top that does the ministry. And, but the body, it's the body that's to do the ministry, and the ministry is out there. And in here. This is a training ground for to do the ministry out there. And we go through the book of Acts. Remember the high priest, well, Jesus, Peter and John, went and healed the man at the gate beautiful. Jesus didn't. Why didn't Jesus heal that man? He walked past him every time he went in the temple. 
How do we know that? Because it says he was laid daily at the temple for the previous 39 years. And of that, three Jesus had three years in it. Jesus didn't pray for him. Why? Because Jesus was led by Holy Spirit. He prayed for those who Holy Spirit released him to pray for. Do we pray for people to make our name look great? Or do we pray for people and we then wonder why we don't get answers or don't see thing, anything happen? But when we move by the Spirit, the Spirit is already working with an individual and we just come along with his gift and impart it to them. And if we do that, we, we think it all depends on us. No, it all depends on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the commander of the army of God on the earth. And he will put the troops in the right place at the right time for the right mission. And each mission will succeed. Because he's in charge and he is to bring honor to the Father. And the Father is not honored when someone is prayed for and they don't get healed. And then we turn around and say, oh, you didn't have faith, brother. You heard that one? Yeah. I feel like saying, well, actually, the man that was let down through the roof by his four, four comrades, he probably didn't have faith, but the faith of the four got him healed because they were the ones who talked him into it. Even though he was crippled, he could have said no. And so, you know, it's, it's so interesting that there is a part of us that, you know, walking by faith is walking like walking a fine line. You know, for instance, do I need money to minister or do I minister for money? It's a tight line. One of it's about serving God, the other it's about serving me. And, you know, and that can happen to anyone. It happened to some of them in scripture. That they, they started out on the right path, but then they lost it because they focused on self. And we're not here. See, self is carnality. When it's about, you know, what does the word say? Paul says it, that to be carnally minded is enmity with God. What does that word enmity mean? Anyone? No? Hmm? Separation. Actually means treasonous. In other words, to be saying, well, it'd be like me, okay? Well, I, I, I'm here to serve Australia. So while I'm here, I'm, I'm living as an Australian even though I, I claim to be an American. That's treason. I'm here to serve God, not Australia. Not even America, actually. I'm here to serve God in America as a missionary to the, to the nation. But so to be carnally minded, and, and see, w there's verses that actually talk about the flesh and carnality. Well, this is not carnal. This is God's property. 
It's the, it's the tent in which I live. When he speaks about the flesh, he's talking about the old mindset of the fallen man. And we've all lived that life as a fallen one until he redeemed us back on Calvary and we entered into his redemption and received him. But we still struggle with this thing. That's why Paul says in Romans 12, Brethren, I beseech you that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. In other words, you live, we live on the altar because it's only on the altar that the fire of God can be revealed in us. Sometimes we want to take ourselves off the altar and just do our own thing. I remember hearing a pastor who said, you know what, if I had my way, I wouldn't be pastoring. And I went, what? I don't understand that. And he had a strong, vibrant church. And it was doing, it was doing great things. And I'm still trying to figure that out. What's he really saying, you know? I, I, I don't know anything else but wanting to serve God. If I'm not serving God, if I'm not doing what God's called me to do, and in fact, I said this to one preacher that visited the camp a couple of years ago. I said, many, many leaders and Christians don't understand. If you are doing what God has not called you to do, it's stressful. And if you are not doing what God has called you to do, it's stressful. We're not here to put stress on people. We're here to release people into who God has called them to be and raise them up to be God God has called them to be. There was a guy that came to the camp um, probably about three years ago. And when I first saw him, I thought, it's a strange guy, strange bird. You ever felt like that with, with people? Yeah, strange. But, you know, uh, after a while, he, he came and asked me a couple of questions and, and he's sort of very bold in what he says he lived on the streets for 10 years and he's very bold in what he says but I started to hear his heart and that that guy he's now 65 but he's accepted me as his spiritual father and I see him as a spiritual son I'll do anything I can he married a Kenyan he's back here at the moment and he's you know, planning to go back to, to Kenya with his wife and the three, ch he's, what he says, my children. <laughs> They're in the, in the, just into their 20s now. But it's funny, see, people, there are certain people who will sort of gravitate, you know, it's like rub us up the wrong way. And, you know, there was a move of God, and it, let me talk about it a little bit. There was a move of God that happened many years, many centuries ago. You ever heard of the Moravians? Let me read a little bit. They had a, um, had a th 330 year history over which the period they had quite some wonderful Christian leaders and teachers. But at the, time, at the time of our story, they had become refugees. Christian refugees fleeing persecution and ending up in Germany. 
they, where they linked with a great Christian man, a wealthy German prince called Count Zinzendorf. He is often referred to as the rich young ruler who said yes to Jesus. Zinzendorf had vast holdings of land and refugees asked if they could settle on his estate and build a town in which they lived. That town is called Hernhut, still there today. And Zinzendorf became their pastor. This little church had all the problems that churches everywhere have to deal with in their lives. They had issues with one another. They occurred, there occurred jealousy and envy, backbiting, competition, striving with one another, and as well, the usual gossip and self am selfish ambition. They had a false prophet arise who tried to lead the people astray. And there was a split and a rebellion where some of them wanted to get rid of Zinzendorf. Basically, they experienced every kind of fleshly weakness, even though they're Christian, and evil striving that comes up from time to time. Anyway, Zinzendorf, being a godly man, spent a night in prayer. One night, with the trouble on his hands, he spent the whole night crying out to God in prayer for the church. Heaven heard, and soon after that, on Sunday, August the 13th, 1727, something happened in that church, which is known as the Moravian Pentecost. That Sunday morning, they were sharing the communion service when the Holy Spirit quietly moved on their hearts Unlike the day of Pentecost, there was nothing to see or hear. There were no tongues of fire or outward signs, but the Holy Spirit sovereignly bringing a great grace into the hearts of the people totally and completely changed them for good. One of their number, in a recording it in history, uh, preserved two vital pieces of information that has helped us to understand what happened that morning. The historian said, it seemed as if God had taken all our differences out of our hearts. And he further said, and we become a people that greatly admired one another. From that move, they started a prayer meeting that lasted 24-7, 365 days for 140 years. They started sending out missionaries. Two, two, two missionaries were supported by one family at home. So even though two, two families went on the mission field, one family stayed home to support them. And th that it is said that in 20 years, more things happened in world missions through them than it had previously done the previous 200 years. Yet they didn't speak in tongues. General Booth, Salvation Army, same thing. His motto was blood and fire. And he said the, the baptism of the spirit is where we become one. And we become a holy people and holy people reach out to the world. And in 20 years they had over 20,000 evangelists, which we would call Salvation Army officers. They didn't speak in tongues. Now, eventually they did. But it's interesting that, as I was saying, tongues is the, comes out of what was in the heart. So we can seek tongues and God will give it to us. It's a gift. 
he gives us, but the greatest gift he wants, and it's a sovereign work of the Spirit, and that is to become of one heart and one mind. It is an anointing. It's a sovereign work of the Spirit. Jonathan Edwards, in the, in the great awakening that he had, there was a, a guy who was well known as knowing the word of God. And he went up to somebody who was having problems. He wasn't a minister. He was just a member of the church. But the spirit of God moved on him. And he prayed for someone. And then he was told, you need to repent, brother. You're showing pride. Because in those days, you didn't do anything unless you were a qualified minister. And then later on, as, as the move of God was working, see, he, he squashed the Holy Spirit working. But then, later on, he wrote up a 14-page document that every person over the age of 14 had to sign. And it was not long after that, the Great Awakening ceased. You cannot put rules and regulations on God's people as God begins to stir them up. We guide them, but not control them. I did a revival for a church. I was up in Minneapolis. I was living up there for, what, four or five months, and I was helping a pastor out. And he, I was going to Pennsylvania to do some ministry, and he, he said to me, when you come back, would you do a revival for us? And of course, you know, when people say, will you do a revival for us? And in the American culture, I think, oh, you want a group of meetings. <laughs> We're having our yearly revival. <laughs> so I said, you know, he introduced me on Sunday and said, you know, when John comes back from Pennsylvania, he's said he would be wanting to do a revival for us. Well, I had recent had just read about the Cornfield Revival in Smithton, Missouri, um, with, um, I can't think of their names, they're, they're now in Kansas City, um, Steve and Kathy Gray. And I've read about what had happened to Steve and Kathy. Steve w had gone to Brownsville when it was fun fully functioning because he was nearly, he was burnt out. And he wanted a fresh impartation from God. He went there for two weeks, got involved in every set in everything, just wanting to receive from God. Then when he left, it was Sunday afternoon, and he was flying home, and he called Kathy up, and he said, Kathy, are you still in the church? She said, yeah. He said, don't leave the church till I get there. Because he had been in, in Brownsville for two weeks, and nothing happened. Or so he thought. And he was going, he wanted the church there because he was going to resign that night. He stepped into the doors of the church and they were singing one song which actually became their theme song. And as he walked, began to walk down the aisle, he spun around and fell on the floor. And revival broke out. We don't know what God's going to do, but we have to release something. Okay. And so um, here I am, 
and I read about this, and there's a, it was in Charisma magazine, there's a picture of this little wooden white weatherboard church in Kansas City where over 250,000 people from, the, from all over the world came to visit in a town in which if you wanted coffee, you had to drive 20 miles to get. It was just a cornfield, and it became known as the Cornfield Revival. But you know what? Interesting, after the years in which all of that happened, some of the people in the church said, Pastor Steve, we wish church was just like it used to be. And he said, so after a couple of weeks of hearing this, got up in church on Sunday and said, I just want you to know that we are moving the revival to Kansas City. I'm not asking anyone to come with me. 70 families moved to Kansas City because they wanted it. And the rest of the people got what they wanted. They wanted things the way they used to be in which burnt out the pastors. So anyway, I'm, I'm, so I took a, a photocopy of that picture of the church and made some posters and, uh, and I put them up on the wall and I, it, the, the posters said, if it can happen here pointing to that church picture, it can happen here pointing to the floor of the church. So I saw, you notice that these, there's some posters around here. Well, when you walk past them, pray that what God will do, he will pour out his spirit. Because if he doesn't show up, all we've had is a week of meetings. And they'd been 14 years, and God showed up, and God moved. And so the pastor said to me, how can we keep this? And out of my mouth, like often happens with me, why did I think about that? <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> but it's God. If we ask the Lord to direct our, our thoughts and, and words as we begin to share, Hey, who am I to criticize what I say out of my mouth if I'm led by the Spirit? So I, I said, when you walk past, pray that it will happen here. And so when the pastor said to me during, how do we keep this? I said, the only way you can keep it is by giving it away. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, my recommendation is that w what we do is have a refreshing meeting every Friday night, just flowing as the Spirit has. And we invite people to come in from other churches to be refreshed and release them to go back to their church. We give it away. And that worked for three weeks, and then I thought, well, actually, we need to get some brochures out into the Christian bookstores to let them know. So <laughs> I made up some brochures, took them to the Christian bookstores that week, the following week, about three weeks into, the, into this experience. And then the pastor had been away and he came back on Thursday night and he said, oh, we're having an elders meeting tonight but you don't need to be there. And I thought, oh, that's strange because he told me he wanted me in every elders meeting to share from my heart. And I said, okay, that's fine. So I'm working up in the office because I'm staying with him in his house, working up in the office, and he comes up after and he said, I just want you to know that we've decided to 
um, cancel the Friday night meetings. I said, well, you're the pastor, but can I just ask a question why? He said, because we're not prepared for it. I thought, okay. But I didn't have an answer. And a couple of, about a week later, the Lord said to me, man can't start a revival, but man can stop it with his rules and regulations. And, the, you know, it's, it's out of a good heart, good intentions. We want to bring some structure to it. But what I noticed about the Browns of revival is John Kilpatrick was just sitting up on the platform. The only time he spoke was Sunday morning or he would take up an offering or he'd give some announcement. But Steve Hill was doing the speaking. But John was there just giving some appearance of structure without controlling it. And so that's, that's one of the things I've come to understand. We can stop the move of God, but we can't start it. The only thing... The only way we can be repressed... See, a you, can't you can't direct a river where it's got to go. A river goes its own direction. And as, as leaders, we, we basically are on the side just helping the river to flow where it wants to. And that's what I see. The whole book, of, uh, the whole of Scripture is about us becoming one people, one heart, and one mind for the glory of God. 120 in the upper room that were of one heart and one mind suddenly saw 3,000 people saved. And you go through, you go through, just read Book of Acts. The Book of Acts is a action that created a reaction that created a reaction created a reaction, a reaction, and it's all because of, and they were of one heart and one mind. And that's my prayer for this place. See, this place is home for me. I may not be here all the time, but I'm certainly not. <laughs> you know, I'm surprised to see people I've not seen before, sort of thing. But it's home for me. And my heart's desire, and I, I know Jeff's heart's desire, and the team's heart's desire. It's interesting how there's been a greater flow since you've, you've come because of your sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. But Jeff started something. Remember last year when he gave the little talk about how, hey, I'm, I'm, I've just come to the realization I can't be all things to everybody. I can only do to go do what God's called me to do. I can only take you with. I can't become a referee stuck in the middle. I've got to lead, and I've got to lead as the Holy Spirit is leading me. And thing, things changed when he said that. I noticed the difference. Okay, the numbers dwindle, but that's all right. Because I, I, I just realize people start to find, well, actually, this is not where my spiritual home is. So they'll look for it somewhere else, and that's fine. But God will bring people in. See, God orchestrates your coming in. You can orchestrate your going out. <laughs> or 
you can go out because God says, no, you're not part of this. And that's all right. You're part of the body. But leaders who, are, who God has raised up are put into a place to lead the body. And that's what I so appreciate about how things have changed. And, you know, it's like when you church plant, things can happen. And you know what? Things can look bad at times. And you say, oh, the pastor's out of order. Well, maybe God's allowing it to happen to show the, the heart of the people who he's serving. Ever wondered that? God allows a leader to go through certain circumstances and we think, hmm, maybe the Lord's left him. Maybe the, he's, not in the, he's not flowing by the Spirit anymore. He's not, he's not, he's not. And all it's doing is revealing the heart of the person who's making judgments because a leader is going through a situation or situations. And I love this man. I love his wife and his consistency to serve God and to be faithful to his people. But as I said, when Jeff made that declaration last year, that he was just going to go and do what the Spirit has said. There's been a change and a freedom and a flow of the Spirit. But that's only the beginning. That's only the beginning. Because faith is a journey. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity this morning to share the word that you've laid in my heart. And Lord, I believe that I've given what you've given me. And Father, you have given me authority as an apostolic leader. Lord God, to release graces to your people. And so Father, I release the grace of understanding in this place and on your people in this place today. And Lord, I also release the grace of community over you people. That Lord, no, maybe nothing will just happen today, but Lord, there's a change in, your in your, the hearts of your people. Lord God, as you begin to witness to them and as you begin to, to Lord, by your spirit, just take out those differences that they truly become one people. And Lord, I release, release the grace of, Lord, leading community and building community, Lord, over the leadership team that is in this place. I release that grace upon your people and upon your leaders. And Father, Lord, I declare that as they step into a greater level of understanding and community, that they will see miracle upon miracle upon miracle happen. Not just in the building, Lord God, but as they minister to others in their sphere of influence. Lord God, that this place then grows. You will bring those, Lord, who you want to bring in. And you release people to other fellowships because we're all one body. But your name will be glorified in all things. So, Father, I release the grace upon your people this morning in Jesus' name. Lord, over the prayer team, 
as they pray for people. I, re I release that grace upon them. In Jesus' name. Thanks. 